RadioInfluence.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Life in the Fast Lane, hosted by me, your boy, Mr. Black Moses. What's going on, everybody? How's everybody feeling this week? How you doing? Me? Well, I'm I'm happy you asked. I uh, I'm doing pretty pretty good. You know, I just celebrated my 44th birthday. That's right. Black Moses is officially in the 44 club. 44. You know, and it's cool to uh, it's cool to to take some time. I think it's necessary to take some time as a human being, as a rider, as a you know, as a motorcyclist, to uh, have a a moment of reflection. You know, uh, there's a lot of a lot of things that are going on in my life right now that I'm very very excited about. Um, yeah, look, we my my publication, Sport Bikes Inc. Magazine. Uh, it's an online digital publication that I started in 2010, uh, October of 2010. And you can find it online, www.sportbikesincmag.com. Please check it out. That's sportbikesincmag.com. You know, that's we just celebrated the 100th issue of SBI. We call it SBI for short. Uh, You know, and that to me, that's a major accomplishment in today's world and today's motorcycle, today's motorcycle industry to reach a hundred issues. You know, that to me, that's a milestone. Uh, That's something that I'm proud of. Uh, and I'm proud of my my support team, my staff, uh, the, the, the people who write for the magazine, the people who take photos for the magazines, all the contributors uh, that have a hand in making Sport Bikes Inc. what it is. And so, you know, and if you're a reader and a supporter of it, thank you. I appreciate you. We had a great celebration for the 100th issue at one of my favorite cigar lounges uh, in Philadelphia, uh, Smoke, Smoke Cigar Lounge. Uh, shout out to Costa and Eli. Uh, you know, it was just a, it was a great celebration. This was a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, it was it was very cool. It was a very cool situation. Uh, a lot of supporters of the magazine and and myself, you know, they we just were there and we just we just had a great time. Shout out to DJ Vader. Uh, DJ Vader is, uh, you know, just one of the most dope DJs uh, in, in the motorcycle community. He's just a great, great guy. Great brother. Thank you, as always. Shout out to Slow and low, rock and rye, you know, those those guys, my, my family over there, they provided the spirits, the libations for the evening. And of course, shout out to Icon Motorsports and D3O for providing the giveaways and the, you know, the swag. And everybody knows what swag is. Swag is short for stuff we all get. So it was a great time. And, uh, you know, I just had... I just had I have so many cool things going on and, you know, SBI 100, me turning 44. Uh, I just think it's it's time to just kind of walk it back a little bit and maybe maybe share with you all how I got to where I am. If I'm anywhere that I am, I think I should share it with you. So, like, how did Black Moses get to be in this position? Uh, you know, it's 
it's been a very entertaining journey and I'm not there yet. I'm still going. I'm still moving. But that's part of it. That's part of it. But I figure on this episode of Life in the Fast Lane, we'll just break it down and I'll share with you how Black Moses got to where he is in the motorcycle industry. Welcome to Life in the Fast Lane, y'all. Let's ride. Listen, man, it's, I, I, I put it very clearly, in no way, shape, or form do I claim to be a role model. I, uh, <laughs> I am the anti-role model, and, and I have to make that abundantly clear, because often I get individuals who come up to me and they they'll ask black moses how that's the question how to be someone of my size and shade of skin and to get to a point that i'm at and again you know that's all relative where i'm at in the motorcycle industry but to get to a point where my network has become what it is and I can't front my network is lit you know I <laughs> it's you know it's impressive it's impressive the amount of people that are uh, if you want to say my constituents if you want to say <laughs> people that I get to work with the people that are my friends and family it is a blessing and a half uh you know but that's all from a hard work and perseverance and being a pain in the ass and and not taking no. Um, so I, I do get it, the perception that people may have of me. So when they say uh, you are you are a role model, you uh, you know, you, you're someone you can you you're a mentor. You know, I, I I hear those things and I appreciate the sentiment, but I don't necessarily subscribe to the theory. And here's why. The road that I'm on, the road that I've been on and the road that I'm on, I learn every day. I learn something new every day about myself, about the industry, about motorcycles, about people. I learn. And that's what it is, I consider myself a student. I'm not a role model. I'm a student. I think I curse way too much. <laughs> I think I have a bad attitude most of the time. I think that um, I don't necessarily get along with everyone. I, I, could, I have a problem with authority. So I don't necessarily, those characteristics, you know, I fall out of the box of being a role model. But I do understand that by being a student, I do have, I've learned a lot of lessons. And from those lessons, I do know and I do understand that I can share what I've learned to others. And so I'll always, I'll always offer help or advice to anybody coming up. I know that I know that I'm not that special. And I, I, I'll get to the point in a second. I know that I'm not that special. I know that there's another black Moses coming right behind me. Okay? My job right now is to stay a few steps ahead of that next black Moses. But at the same time, I'm not going to deny the opportunity of that next black Moses. If you get what I'm saying. And here's how I'll break it down. My mama thinks I'm special. I'm good with that. My wife thinks I'm special. I'm good with that. My son thinks I'm special. And I'm good with that. I don't necessarily need the entire universe to think I'm special. I just need to be able to do what I do and do it well. So with that being said, we're going to take it back a little bit 
My first job in the motorcycle industry was working for a wonderful gentleman by the name of Araldo Faraci. Araldo Faraci owned Fast by Faraci in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. I, I knew who I was working for. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I just, you know, here I'm some young, young guy who, who needs a paycheck. I knew, I knew the heritage, I knew the legacy, I knew, I knew that this gentleman was an icon. And anybody that knows Araldo knows he's, he's famous or infamous for having a fiery demeanor. One of the most kindest, gentlest souls in the universe. I love this old man. <laughs> I love him. I've learned so much from him. But he is a bottle rocket. If you've ever seen Araldo just give somebody the business it's intimidating, but it's inspiring at the same time. And one of the lessons that I learned from Araldo, first of all, never argue with Araldo. You will lose. It doesn't matter. You could be right. You could be correct. It doesn't matter. If Araldo says the sky is green, damn it, the sky is green. I don't care if the sun is out. I don't care if the sky is blue. I don't care if there's not a cloud anywhere. If Araldo says the sky is green, damn it, the sky is green. Here's what I learned. Araldo, he's, he's a man of conviction. He knows what he knows and he can back up what he knows. If you got into an argument with Araldo about what color the sky was, by the end of it, you would believe that the sky was green. That's how convincing Araldo is. And what I, the lesson there is, if you know what you know and you can back it up, there's value in that. As a human being, as a motorcyclist, as an individual, as someone in this industry, you can build value in your ability to be convincing. And I'm not talking about BSing your way through a situation. I'm talking about having enough knowledge, having enough knowledge and understanding that you believe what you believe. And if you believe it, you don't have to sell it. It is what it is. But maybe, maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of the game. Let's go back. Let's go back a little further. Let's talk about my first motorcycle. My first motorcycle was a 1987 Honda Nighthawk 750. And I remember the day that my big brother, Gregory, my big blood brother, we got the same mama, y'all. <laughs> we got the same mama. Uh, shout out to my brother, Greg. Uh, he's the one that taught me how to ride. And we went and picked up this Honda Nighthawk 750 from Philly Cycle Center. Shout out to Vince. We picked up the bike and, you know, it, it's... it. <laughs> I love that bike. It was cool. It was black. It was dope. It was uh, it was my first bike. It had a bad regulator. Couldn't keep a charge for nothing. I think I went through maybe three batteries before I realized that the bike had the bike. You know, when you're a beginning beginner rider, you don't want to spend time worrying about whether the battery's going to you know hold the charge. You don't want to worry about any gremlins. You don't want to worry about any. Anything that's going to prevent you from enjoying the ride, especially when you're learning. So, you know, while that bike was was wonderful, you know, it was my time with it was short lived. But my brother Gregory, who I the only way to describe Gregory at the time, if you've seen the movie Bad Boys and the characters played by Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. If you put them both together, 
at the same damn time. <laughs> that is my brother Gregory. Um, you talk about a a, a a dude that's that is convinced that is that has those convictions. You couldn't tell my brother nothing, but you didn't have to because he was that dude. My brother rode a 2000 Suzuki Hayabusa before they put the governors on him. So uh, 220 plus on the dash. Okay, my brother was and is still that guy. But to me, being young, being young, watching to have access to uh, to to my brother and his riding ability and the way he rode with confidence, with again conviction. That was the word. He knew what he knew. He was confident in his knowledge and ability, and it, oh, it like he, it's like he was sweating it. You, you, his effervescence was confidence. And that, to me, was super cool. That was super cool. So I, in my mind, I said, you know what? I And I was a late rider. I didn't start riding until my early 20s. You know, I, I saw what my, my poor mom, I saw what she was going through, worrying about Gregory on his bike. So I kind of waited a little bit, um, waited till the time was right before... I hopped up on two wheels and Gregory and I, you know, I had a couple coins. I was ready. I said, Greg, let's go get a bike. We called up to Vince uh, at Philly Cycle Center. Vince had, a, you know, Vince is Vince is a good dude, man. Vince is a really good dude. Shout out to Philly Cycle Center. We went up, found the bike. It was a and. and I'm just I'm getting I'm I'm reminiscing right now on that day when I rode her out of the parking lot. And it was funny because there was a road not too far from Aramango in Philadelphia. If you're familiar, there's the river and not too far from Philly Cycle Center. There's a road that runs along the river. And so, you you know, it's it was pretty much open. You know, it was a straight run maybe two or three miles straight run, no traffic. And to tell you the truth, I had not ridden a motorcycle at that point in my life. So me riding this Nighthawk 750 out of the parking lot of Philly Cycle Center was like me being born. It was like me, I'm going to say, coming out of the, as I left the parking lot and <laughs> turned on to the street on the Aramango Ave, it was like me coming out of the birth canal. Again, it was like I was reborn. I didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I was trying to just not drop it. Trying, I wasn't trying to be cool. I was just trying to be aware. Aware. So, Greg, my brother, he took me down to this road. I wish I could remember the name of the road. And for the next hour or two, I went up and I went down, back and forth, back and forth, shifting through the gears, shifting through the gears, and just getting the feel of everything. And you know what? That was a very pivotal moment in my life. Did I, did I, did it make sense to me right away? Not really, but it felt natural, if that makes sense. I was confused, but I was cool at the same time. Because there was a lot of there was a lot of data to process. There just was. And so I stuck at it. I was persistent. And within those two hours, did I have it shut off on me? Multiple times. Multiple times. Um, did I stall out? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that was expected. But before the end of that night, before the end of that night, I was cool. I was cool enough that I could ride my new bike, my new to me bike. I was living in downtown Philly. I was living right off of Rittenhouse Square. I was able to ride my bike from Northeast Philadelphia to 15th and Spruce. And I was never more proud of myself. And I, you know, I got, I got to my place, locked my bike up and I felt great. That was like, again, it was like I was born. I was born again. And there was a certain freedom. There was a certain, there was a certain liberty 
that I now had access to. I was thinking differently about my existence. And any writer will tell you that I'm sure we have all we all have that moment when we realize that like our eyes were open, like we could see. But once once we started writing, we could truly see like we had a second sight. It's a very spiritual moment. Every any real writer will can recall that moment when their eyes were open for the very first time. If you get what I'm saying, if you get my meaning. So at the time I was working at Commerce Bank, Commerce Bank, believe it or not, Black Moses used to be a bank manager. (laughs) Could you imagine me? There was a time when I didn't wear all black. How about that? There was a time when I wore a suit and tie and, you know, it was a job that I was I was happy with. I've never done anything that I did not want to do. So I found joy in the fact that I was helping people, you know, working at the bank, customer service, assistant manager, bank manager. But it wasn't me, you know, and I go back to the fact that I have a problem with authority. I don't like being told what to do. So that was short lived. <laughs> but it was after that it was after I I bought my first bike. That's and my eyes were truly opened. That's when I realized, okay, the suit and tie thing isn't my bag. There's something more in this universe for me. How do I get there? So I started plotting the course. My passion for motorcycles, it, it that passion was quickly becoming an addiction. A healthy addiction, but I acknowledge the fact that it was indeed an addiction. Okay, what do you do about it? I better get a job. This is what I said to myself. I better figure out a way to get my foot in the door somewhere because it's going to be an expensive hobby. Motorcycles are expensive. In fact, not just the bikes, but the, the lifestyle the upkeep you're talking about, not just the maintenance and everything with the actual physical motorcycle, but your gear, helmet, jacket, gloves, everything else, everything that comes along with being a motorcyclist. It is not cheap. It's not going to break the bank, but you have to start thinking about your money differently. For a while, your boy was only, I swear, (laughs) I swear, This is what my breakfast was at the time to sustain my habit of being a motorcyclist. Peanut butter and bagels. That's right. Toasted the bagels, put some peanut butter on it. I was good for the morning. Okay. Lunch, cup of noodles, ramen, maybe peanut butter and jelly. Dinner, pretty much more of the same. Every once in a while, I would splurge. Every once in a while, your boy would splurge. But for the most part, I kept it. I kept, I kept Anything that wasn't directly related to the motorcycle, I kept the spending on it to a minimum. But once I realized that maybe the the path is I should get a job in the industry. Well, how do I do that? How do how do I do that? I actually walked into Fast by Farachi and asked for an application. I got hired. Time goes on just a little bit. Araldo. Orlando says to me, what do you ride? And this is after I've been, I was there for, you know, a couple of months. Uh, my, my, my Honda had been sitting because I was technically just tired of dealing with the bad, with the multiple purchases of batteries and the rectifier. And uh, it was, you know, it became a headache. So I wasn't disheartened as a rider, but I was annoyed at my bike. So after I began working at Fast by Faraji. I saw a Ducati monster, matte black. Ooh, it was a 620. It was great. It was gorgeous. It was me. Um, I love the style of it, the street fighter style, that naked bike style. And I said, you know what? That's it. That's the move. But before I get to purchasing my second bike, what happened was me working at Faraji opened up my eyes more. And once I realized, okay, 
I got a job at, oh, I, oh, the bank, I quit. I'm out. This is not for me. I see it when I see it. Working at Farachi, Fast Buy Farachi, I was, I was getting a discount on everything. Parts, apparel, you name it. So it was, you know, it's, it was almost like that kid in a candy store, okay? The more discount that I had, the more things I bought, which almost defeated the purpose. I wasn't saving money. <laughs> I was spending more money. So I just worked more. I first started off working at Farachi's on a part-time basis. Uh, then through time, I started working there full-time. And then I was promoted to parts manager. And I loved that job. I loved that job so much for everything that it was, everything that I was learning. I was around motorcycles all day. I was around Araldo for most of the day. I was getting yelled at in Italian. And I didn't know what he was saying, but I know... <laughs> I, I knew when I messed up. I knew when I did wrong, but I also knew when I did right. And Araldo, you know, I'm going to have to have him as a guest on the podcast because that gentleman, man, that dude is just he's hes just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Much love. Shout out to you, Mr. Mr. Farachi. I still call him Mr. Farachi. Some people call him Araldo to his face. I call him Mr. Farachi. Uh, he calls me bandito animal. <laughs> He's, he's just a great guy, part of the foundation of Black Moses. Um, and we'll talk about more people who are part of that foundation in a moment. But what I, I, I realized that I was saving, I, was, I thought I was saving money because of the discount, but I also quickly realized and learned that, yeah, I was making really good money, really good money working at Farachi, but I was spending a lot of money because of the discount. So, and that only went on for maybe a couple of months before I tightened up and said, okay, this bike thing to me, it's not a hobby. It's my life. So how do I take this job, this passion and turn it into a job? I did that part, but now I need to figure out how to turn it into a tax write-off. Aha, uh -huh. maybe I should figure out how to make this my career. And that's what that's what I took from my time at Farachi's. The lessons that I learned from Mr. Farachi. Here was a gentleman who came to this country, who came to the United States from Italy with his passion. And it depends on which day you ask him. You can he'll either say he came to this country with a dollar. He might say he came to this country with 25 cents. He might say he came with one, you know, a dollar 75. The point is he came here with more dreams and more passion and more conviction than he had money on him. And he believed in himself. He believed in himself. And I resonated that resonated with me. That resonated with me. I mean, that dude, talk about rolling the dice. Araldo rolled the dice, came here to the United States and built an empire, making Ducati a household name in the early 90s with, with the race teams. Matt Mulatton, Troy Corser, uh, you know, and just what he did, what he did in the world, in the global scope of motorcycle racing. Hats off to him. But that's what he did. He rolled the dice. And so with all the lessons that I learned from Araldo and being at Fast by Farachi and just being around motorcycles and being inspired, being invigorated, being enlightened, I set out on my own course. I rolled the dice. I rolled the dice. I left Fast by Farachi and opened up my own store, everything but the bike. And that was in Bridgeport, PA. Not too, a little bit of ways from basically a couple stops up the turnpike from Willow Grove. So I needed, in my mind, I needed to know what it was like to own my own shop, to own my own business and, and, and see what else I could do in this industry. I was still formulating a plan. I'm a big picture guy, big picture. I could see the big picture. It was sketched. It was a sketch. It wasn't it wasn't drawn in hard line with ink. 
Because sometimes when you write things or you do things in ink, you feel as though that you are locked in to that program. You're locked into that path. You, you're locked in to what the picture is supposed to be. I suggest and recommend to anybody listening, don't draw in ink. Draw your big picture in pencil because as life changes, your scope changes, your, your ideas will change. And there might, there might be something bigger out there for you. But if you're locked into an ink drawing, you either have to start a new drawing or just go with what you got. I say sketch in pencil and enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the, the sketching process. But think big, have court vision, have field vision. And that's where I was at when I opened everything but the bike. So everything but the bike was was, was a cool shop. Uh, and we did every <laughs> I sold everything but the bike. I didn't sell motorcycles, but I sold all the uh, motorcycle apparel, accessories, parts, you name it, everything but the actual bike. That's what you know, that's what we sold. And it was a cool shop. I had a great following and I had great customers and it allowed me once word got out that I branched out on my own and was doing my own thing, you know, my following, my network, you know, following network, you know, friends, that net it grew. It grew. More people knew were, were, were starting to hear about me. And it was, you know, it 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 worked. It was a little intimidating, but it worked because I was following, I was following my path. In 2007, I had an idea, and here and the idea was birthed from 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 the realization that on the East Coast, on the East Coast, during the winter months, things are you know things kind of die out for the riding community just because of the weather. So owning a shop on the East Coast, I thought, well, how can I get by? You know, I'm not selling bikes. I'm selling parts. And if there's people aren't riding during the winter months, how do I get by? I said, I got it. I'm going to throw a festival, a bike festival, and I'll call it Clutch Control. And this was in 2007. The first Clutch Control was in September of 2007. And, I, and it was held at the Valley Forge Convention Center. And I said, you know, I need a big name. I need a big name to come out and and it'll be a great show and people will come and hang out and there'll be bikes and everything. It'll be a, a end of the season jump off event. My big bro, Jason Britton, had a a really popular show on the Speed Network called Super Bikes at the time. And I remember going you know, obviously I watched the show. Most of us did. I watched the show and I went to his website, jasonbritton.com. And I looked at the contact page and there was an email address. So I wrote Jason an email. Within a, a couple of hours, he replied and I just said, hey, you know, I'd really, I'm having an event in Philadelphia. I would really love to have you here as the main the main dude, the main attraction. Who do I call? I asked him, who do I call to set this up? Jason said, you called me, gave me his phone number. (laughs) I called him, I think later on that afternoon, we talked about everything. Um, And then he said, hey, you know what? I'm going to bring my show out. We're going to do some filming. We haven't been to Philadelphia. We haven't really done the East Coast. So we'll come out. We'll come out to and, and make Clutch Control an episode. Okay, that that's great. That works for me. So Jason comes out that September and just kills it. It was Jason Britton, uh, it's Team No Limit. I'm trying to think who else was there. It, uh, there were so many people, I mean, like, that were locally, locally. Like, the bike community just came out. And I hadn't realized at that, at that point that, again, this was 07, how strong the local regional motorcycle community was it man it was it was a great event i'll say it it was a fantastic event so much so and then when the episode dropped oh my goodness when the episode dropped 
on speed. It went, it was all of a sudden, Philadelphia was known in, in part, our, our culture, our bike culture was known uh, to people on the West Coast, South, Midwest. Now people knew that Philadelphia had it popping when it came to the bike life. Some people have said, Alan, you're responsible for that. I'm not responsible for that. We as a collective were responsible for that. I just made a phone call to the guy who had a show. So again, we're talking about my network. I had access to the gentleman that had the show. That was the true flashlight. That was the spotlight held over our city. And we represented ever so well, ever so well. Shout out to you, Jason Britton, for giving the opportunity to the city of Philadelphia and bringing uh, super bikes out to, you know, to, to the show, to the weekend. It was great. And we did a street ride that night that would later become the shut the city down ride. We'll talk about that later, though. But people that know about the shut the city down ride, it is what it is. It's popping. The next one, the season opener is May the 4th. May the 4th in Philadelphia, you dig? But that was the first one that we did. And I think you can still go on the internet. I think you can still Google Superbikes. Uh, I think the, the episode was called Clutch Control. But Google it. Check it out. It might, it might even be on iTunes. I'm not sure. But check it out. It, it, it's, it's, it's a fun, fun episode. And, it, and it's cool. It shows a very cool side of the Philadelphia bike culture as it was in 07. So that happens. Then 2008, we do it again. 09, we do it again. And we just keep growing. Meanwhile, my shop, everything but the bike, in my mind, I had always said, you know what? This isn't what my legacy is going to be on, but it's a stepping stone. This is going to help me get to the next, to the next spot. So this is how we do. This is how we do it, all right? I sold the shop in around, I think it was 09. That's when I sold the shop. Right before I sold the shop, I had started writing for other publications, for publications, okay? Two Wheel Tuner was the main magazine that I was uh, a contributor to. One of the, another very important lesson that I learned from my days at Fast by Farachi and, and from Araldo specifically is that if you have an opinion and you believe it, there's value in that. We talked about that. But what I further learned that as a journalist, that if you have an opinion and you believe it and you can state or back up what you believe in, in words, cohesively, people will pay you for it. My, 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 my the dawning of Black Moses, the journalist, okay, occurred. So when I sold the shop, I called Jason and I had a very interesting conversation with Ricky Gadsden. Shout out to big bro Ricky Gadsden. When I sold my shop, I actually had, you know, a soul searching meeting, phone conversation with Ricky Gadsden. I asked him for some help just mentally to work my way through what my next steps were. And Ricky, Ricky knows now that I had already decided what I was going to do, but I just kind of wanted to talk it, talk about it outside my head and with someone that I respected. And of course, big bro, Ricky Gatson, you know, again, he's someone who's part of the foundation of Black Moses. Ricky and I have a great conversation. He tells me in so many words, bro, roll the dice. Dice were rolled. I made my move. Sold the shop. I'm writing. I'm in the industry. I'm in the game. Now, how far I am going to go in the game is up to me. Now, I'm local. I'm Philly. People in Philly know who I am. I've brought television. I've brought television to Philadelphia. I've brought uh, stars, motorcycle industry superstars to Philly. I brought, you know, it, I brought things. I helped bring the life to Philly. I helped. There's a lot of people. I don't want to say I was the only one because there was a lot of people that paved the way before I arrived. So much res much respect and propers to those that came before me. But I think I, it's safe to say that 
I had the defibrillator. <laughs> I was like, charge. I believe that I helped revitalize. I can safely say I helped revitalize the, the lifestyle, the motorcycle lifestyle in a Philadelphia region. And I'm not saying single-handedly, but you know what I'm saying. So moving on. After I decided that I needed to broaden my horizons, I called Jason and I said, Jason, again, Jason, part of the foundation of Black Moses. Jason, you tour all over the world, specifically, you know, America. You don't really have someone rocking the mic. You don't have someone running their mouth. You don't have someone who's emceeing the shows. Jason team no, Jason's Team No Limit would run 15-minute shows. And basically, they would come out there. And what was beautiful about Jason was that his shows had a beginning, a middle, and an end. But there was no intro and there was no conclusion. So think about that. If you, if you think in the, the terms of Shakespearean three acts, okay, you have your act one, which is your beginning. You have your act two, which is your middle. You have your act three, which is your end. But if you're just going out there and just ripping it, ripping it, the people who are watching, they only know that the show's starting because you're riding. And they know that the show's over because you've stopped riding. So my idea, and Jason and I, we formulated this I became part of the team as the host. Jason used to call me Stunt Mouth. <laughs> he used to call me Stunt Mouth and later became too, too fitting. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of nicknames uh, before we got to Black Moses. But I was part of Jason's Team No Limit as, as the MC, And so Jason took me on tour with him. And, man, and we, my time with Team No Limit is so special because it showed me parts of the country that I had not been to. It opened my eyes. I met so many different people, so many different types of people. And I remember, I remember the feeling that, you know what's cool is that people are getting to know me. People are getting to meet me. So I just kind of space banked everything in my head. It was all data, all data that I was processing. And I said to myself, you know what, one day soon, I'm going to be able to utilize all of this information. Meanwhile, I just sat back. I did my job, but I learned. I was a student. I watched Jason. Jason is one of the most professional. I'm going to say the most professional motorcycle industry superstar performer athlete entertainers. Hands down, his program is locked. And it's, it's, it's one thing to watch it as a spectator, but it's another thing to watch it and be a part of it from the inside. You had to be on. And Jason would get in my ass if I was off, if I was out of pocket, but I needed that. You know, I realized it was a privilege to be working with him and learning from him. Because remember, Jason and I didn't know each other. We didn't grow up together. We met in 07. I was some dude from Philly. He was some dude from Huntington Beach. We just happened to get along. And our, from that, this friendship that we have right now, the bond that Jason and I have, and shout out to big sister, Kendi, Kendi Britton, Jason's beautiful wife. I used to tell people that everything that I learned from the motorcycle industry, I learned from the Kendi Britton School of Motorcycle Business. Kendi, also part of the foundation of Black Moses. They took me on tour and I learned and I watched and it was just a great time, great experience. We went everywhere. Canada, we, Canada, Jason, it was because of Jason that I went to Canada. Black Moses had no business in Canada, but we went and it was awesome and we had a ball. It was great. Um, through my relationship with Jason, my relationship with Icon Motorsports. It all, it's all connected. It's really all connected. My relationship with Icon Motorsports took off because obviously, obviously Jason was, is connected to, was sponsored. I think he, I believe Jason was the first sponsored rider for Icon. And me being a rider and me being part of Team No Limit and me 
me, I remember, I remember when we went to Portland for the first time and I got to go to the headquarters of Icon, you know, it was like, oh, wow, this is, it was like my Mecca. Like this is, this was, for me, it was bomb. It was the bomb. Um, and meeting everybody, meeting Kurt, meeting Justin and everybody that was part of the team at that time, it was, you know, it was, it was a beautiful experience. And I really felt like, you know what, I'm here, I'm in it, but there's more, there's more. I solidified my relationship with Icon uh, and, you know, obviously I start working with them in a large capacity uh, to which now most people know I'm a, I'm a brand ambassador for Icon Motorsports. From Icon Motorsports, my relationship with D3O spawned and, you know, it, it goes on and on and on. But I remember Jason and I were, Jason used to have the big bus, Team No Limit bus. It was big black with, and Team No Limit was in that neon green, uh, you know, the highlights of the bus. The trim was in the neon green. And there was a big picture of Jason doing, I think, a spreader wheelie on the side. So everywhere we went, people, we were on the highway, people would roll up next to us, honk their horns, or if riders saw us, they would pull up. And it was, it was a really cool time. So I remember Jason and I, we were... Uh, we were going in between shows. We were driving to the next state and Jason was driving the rig and I was sitting in the passenger seat. And I said to Jason, I said, man, I said, you know, and this is, this was maybe, this was in 2009 on the back end of 2009 or early 2010. And I said to Jason, I said, bro, I said, wait, sidebar, Jason Britton, and Kendi Britton are responsible for me seeing the Pacific Ocean for the first time. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. Had I seen the ocean before? Absolutely. Had I seen the Pacific Ocean before? Absolutely not. And it was beautiful, man. I'm there in Huntington Beach, California. Uh, and, you know, it was just beautiful. People were surfing and everything. And how come, sidebar, sidebar, how come, are there any brothers that surf? I don't recall ever seeing a brother surf. If there are some brothers that surf, I'd like to meet them. I'm too big and too old now to start surfing, but that's something else that was almost on my list of things to do before I leave this planet. That time has passed. Maybe not. Shout out to my boy, Jason Nanamaker. Jason I, <laughs> from 10 Designs. I know you surf. Um, let's, let's make that happen. Let's make that happen. Okay, back to the regularly scheduled program. I told Jason while we were driving in the rig, I said, Jay, I want to do a magazine. I want to do a magazine because I... I remember what it felt like when I was working for Araldo at Fast by Ferrachi. I loved, I loved working for him and I was great at my job. I wasn't good. I was great at my job. And Araldo will tell you that because he told me that. And I think he made a point of saying that he doesn't tell people, but he told me because I was that good. So I knew I was great at that job and I knew how much I knew my value I made Mr. Farachi a lot of money in the parts department. I made a lot of money for that gentleman, which was great. That was my job. But I realized if I made a lot of money for him because I did my job so well, how much money could I make for myself as an entrepreneur, as my own business person to be to go from sitting on the bench to sitting in the owner's box? That was part of my motivation. That was part of my motivation. And my conviction, my belief in myself and my abilities is what allowed me to roll the dice the same way that Araldo rolled the dice when he came to America. I said, okay, I'm rolling the dice. So at the time when I told Jason that I was going to start what would become Sport Bikes Inc. magazine, I said to Jay, I said, Jay, I'm writing for Two Wheel Tuner. Uh, I'm doing other things. My network is growing. It's expanding. I can write. I'm, I'm good. I'm good at this. Jason looked at me. He said, you should do it. You should do it. And I said, I want to. He said, what are you going to call it? And I said, Sport Bikes Inc. And he says, oh, Inc. with a K? I said, no, with a C. He says, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> he looks right at me and said, that doesn't make any sense. He said, Sport Bikes Inc. I-N-K. That makes sense if it's a magazine. I said, no, Jay. It's INC, short for incorporated. And my theory was, my philosophy, my mission of Sport Bikes Inc. 
Very simple. We were going to incorporate all aspects of the sport bike, motorcycle life. Didn't matter. Didn't matter if you rode a Harley. Didn't matter if you rode if you if you if you rode a cafe cruiser. It didn't matter. Sport bikes incorporated. We were going to incorporate all aspects of the life. And with that, and not necessarily Jason's cosign, but kind of like the, you know, go get that attitude. Like if you believe it, you can achieve it <laughs> attitude. I set out to launch Sport Bikes Inc. Two Wheel Tuner ended its run. And I believe the last issue came out in May of 2010. I launched the first issue of Sport Bikes Inc. in October of 2010. You know, I realized that my, my story and my, my journey is, it's a long one. Like I said, it's still growing. So I think for this, for this week, we're going to leave it, we're going to leave it there. We'll consider this part one, part one of the journey of, of, of Black Moses, of how Black Moses got to where he is. And next week, we'll pick it back up with part two. You dig? Well, 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 that's our show for this week. And I hope that you enjoyed uh, part one of the of this stroll down Black Moses memory lane. Uh, and, uh, you know, just to just to just to give a quick shout out to all of you for listening and supporting life in the fast lane. I really do. I really do appreciate you guys. Hey, listen, there's a lot of motorcycle stuff that's happening. Uh, World Superbike kicked off last week uh, in, in, at Phillip Island in Australia. This week, MotoGP kicks off round one in Qatar. So there's a lot of cool stuff. I'm heading down to Daytona Beach, Daytona Beach Bike Week next week. If you see me, holla. I will holla black. See what I did there? Um... <laughs> There's a lot of cool stuff going on. Listen, uh, we'll be back here next week with an all-new episode of Life in the Fast Lane, hosted by me, your boy, Mr. Black Moses. Please follow, follow me on social media uh, for all updates. Uh, check out the show on Twitter at L-I-T-F-L official on Facebook at Life in the Fast Lane Podcast and on Instagram at Life in the Fast Lane Official. Love you guys. Black Moses appreciates you all. I'm gone. This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd. Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Coming up on this week's edition of the MMA Report Podcast, you're going to hear my conversations with Cody Stamen as he recaps his victory at UFC 235. Also, Anthony Avila and Nate Smith will be on the podcast to talk about their recent victories. Plus, I'll be joined by Rafael Esparza, who is an odds maker with my bookie. And also, we're going to take a look back at UFC 235. Plenty to talk about, Jason, as we got two championship fights plenty of controversy also a look ahead to the ufc card this weekend and uh oh my god the craziest reason why conor mcgregor and donald cerrone isn't happening currently it is absolutely amazing you got to listen to this week's edition of the mma report podcast to find out what exactly that was if you've not heard already of course check out all those interviews and of course the mma report podcast is available on apple podcast stitcher tune in google play and radioinfluence.com the MMA Report with Jason Floyd can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.